1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Thank you for joining us this morning as we talk about the health issues that affect you most and your family. We've got a whole hour to address your health concerns, so give us a call today. We would love to hear from you. You can share your comments and questions this morning by calling one mpb ring That's one Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio.
2: This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio.
1: Good morning, Welcome to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Not so steamy this morning. Looks like the rains came through, at least in my neck of the woods, last night and yesterday. It sort of cooled things off a little bit. Won't last long, though, here in the South. Stay cool out there as you listen to us today. In fact, why don't you just come on inside from what you're doing and Give us a call this morning with any kind of questions that you might have. We are here for you. As usual, you dictate the topics that we talk about on Southern Remedy. So you can give us a call this morning and we can answer your question. If you uh, just dial 1-877-MPB-RING, that's 1-877-672-7464. Or if you can't get to the phone or you uh, want to email us, you can send us an email at remedy at mpbonline.com. And I meant that what I said about uh, staying cool out there, way too hot with uh, heat indexes over 100 in many parts of the state uh, just about every day this week and probably in the next couple of weeks as we move out of July and into August. So please be careful out there. Hydrate beforehand when you go outside. Uh, If you know that you're going to be out there, make sure you have plenty of access to water. Uh, and uh, come, take frequent breaks. If you can do things, uh, plan them smart in the uh, smart way, and uh, do things early in the morning or later in the afternoon when it's not so hot. And don't forget about your kids when you do that too. Particularly in a car, that's a big no-no. Don't do that, even if it's for a few minutes. It's amazing how how much a car temperature can go up fast and uh, just really do some damage. And way too many deaths across the nation. Uh, during the summer months. And here in the South, we're uh, no not immune to that. And same thing with pets too. So don't forget about that. Anybody that you got with you, just don't uh, don't leave them in the car. So a couple of things in the news as we're waiting for some callers to call in this morning. Uh, the biggest thing, probably one of the, the things that we've uh, dealt with in our clinic over the last week um, has been a recall. You know, from time to time, the FDA looks at safety data and does some surveillance. And when they notice something that is uh, out of the ordinary, they usually issue a recall of that, uh, particularly even if it's to study what's going on. And medications are, uh, there's a reporting mechanism that physicians, physicians' offices, pharmacies, uh, we can uh, put that information in. What we've noticed is that the, uh, recently the FDA had announced a voluntary recall of a drug called Valsartan. Valsartan is an angiotensin receptor blocker. It's a blood pressure medication. It's also uh, very useful in the treatment of heart failure uh, or if you have uh, heart disease, you might be on that medication. And basically what they found is a substance called NDMA. NDMA is a known carcinogen. So it was unexpected uh, that they found this in the Valsartan. It's not necessarily a part of the Valsartan per se. So the Valsartan itself is safe. It's just that in some of the uh, manufacturing processes, they think that the NDMA, uh, it was in there and don't know if it was in high enough uh, concentrations to cause cancer, but certainly you don't ever want that going out there. So there is a recall on that. So if you are on Valsartan, here's what you need to do. Uh, Just because you're on it doesn't mean you need to quit it, but you need to make sure that it's not one of the Manufacturing companies that are making this medication. So call your pharmacy where you get your medications from. Have them; uh, they'll have a list of the companies that are producing that. Um, the ones in particular that are being recalled. And you wouldn't have any way of knowing this probably, but uh, Valsartan, Major Pharmaceuticals, Solco uh, Healthcare, Ativa Pharmaceuticals, uh, and a couple of other things for combinations too. Uh, those are the companies that they've noticed uh, the presence of NDMA. So, the best thing to do is just to call your pharmacist. Always a great idea to do that. Your pharmacist is a great help in the healthcare team to make sure that you don't have any complications from different medications. But give them a call, see if where you got your Valsartan or a combination of Valsartan is one of these companies. And then if it is, then uh, either your pharmacist or you can contact your physician who prescribed you that and maybe see if there's some alternatives while they're sorting that out. But this is a voluntary recall to try to figure out, hey, what's going on? Why is the NDMA in there? And um, what do we need to do to correct that? And I have no doubts they'll, you know, Valsartan, again, it's not the Valsartan. It's the NDMA that's in some of the manufacturing companies that do that and people get a little bit confused about that like well you know what I just think it's Valsartan it's just one medication right well no Uh, when drugs first come out they are manufactured by one company uh, until that patent runs out on them and that's to help those companies sort of recoup those profits not going to get into a debate about whether that's You know, judicious, we've got a lot of debate nationwide about that. You know, certainly medication prices are through the roof. I know it hurts my patients. I'm a big advocate for getting those down. After that patent runs out, uh, those drugs become available for other companies to manufacture them. And most of the time, they can do that in a cheaper way. So the price usually goes down. Sometimes it doesn't, particularly if only one company picks up that medication. But typically, they go down in price with a generic Now, with a generic company, they don't necessarily have to make it in the same way that that original company did. So sometimes there may be other substances in there. And that's why, if you'll notice, from time to time, as companies change that make things, that same pill that you were taking may look differently. Maybe the shape changes, maybe the color changes. But that's why, because different companies are making that. uh, And then when one company gets sort of switched out in formularies or pharmacies... They pick up another one, and most of the time there's no problem. There are some generics that we 've noticed uh, you know just anecdotally and uh, in in laboratory studies that maybe don 't work as well as the brand name. Uh, probably the biggest group of those are uh, the synthroid medications, so the uh, thyroid medications that people take if they have a low functioning thyroid gland uh, those don 't tend to work as well as the brand name, so I tend to shy away from that. Maybe a couple of other. Uh, different classes out there, but most of the time, you can certainly uh, save some money uh, by generic medications of taking those. But that's that's why you have all these different companies out there. This is Southern Remedy, and we have lots of lines open and lots of time for you to call in with your health questions. Don't have to be about medications; can be about anything because we are here for you. You can reach us this morning live at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one 877 Or give us an email, shoot us an email at remedy at mpbonline.org. There's another thing in the news. Uh, you know, vitamin D is one of those uh, substances that is very beneficial for the way that our body processes lots of different things, not just for bone health. And we need adequate levels of vitamin D. However, in in recent years, you know, it's sort of a panacea. A lot of people say, hey, vitamin D is going to cure everything from uh, my eyesight to my skin tone to getting a good tan. Lots of reasons why people take vitamin D. So a lot of studies out there. One of the studies was suggesting, uh, several studies were suggesting that it might improve your brain health or can uh, impact Uh, the development of several neurodegenerative diseases. And by that, I mean Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's, and others. So they looked at, uh, this was a a meta-analysis, so they looked at about 70 studies to sort of pool all that data to gain some more power to sort of see if there was an impact of vitamin D. And what they found was really, there's not really any evidence if your vitamin D levels are normal for taking any excess of that uh, that might be protective for the brain. So it's, you know, common belief that that may, you know, may be good for your brain, but that's that's not what they found when they looked at all these these studies. And this was published recently, July the tenth, in the journal Nutritional Neuroscience. So vitamin D, you definitely need it. Uh, adequate levels in your diet are essential. You can get that by eating a balanced diet. You really, don't have to take any supplements to do that in most cases. If you have darker colored skin, African-Americans, Caucasians who have darker colored skin as well, then you might be at risk for vitamin D deficiency. Uh, And if you're not getting adequate amounts in your diet and your doctor notices that particularly concomitantly at the same time of having osteoporosis or thinning of the bones, then you might need some supplementation uh, above and beyond that. But as far as taking that as a supplement, you really don't get any benefits from uh, preventing any other neurodegenerative diseases. Got an email here from, I think, Rachel in Loosedale. She says, I have chronic, very low iron. After my last labs, my doctor again prescribed an iron supplement, but the pills are so large and seem to cause reflux and constipation. I hate taking them. You're not alone, Rachel. What are the pros and cons of asking for an IV iron transfusion instead of the pills? Excellent question. So iron deficiency anemia, uh, which Rachel has, uh, that's low iron, is another thing that you might hear that, sort of the lay term for that. That's something that's very common, particularly in women of childbearing age. And the reason women get it more than men is because of menstruation. So you lose, anytime you lose blood from any kind of uh, reason, you can deplete your iron stores. Iron is stored in our bodies to be used mainly for uh, one of the precursors of red blood cells, which carry oxygen around. And some of the symptoms of chronic iron deficiency, uh, anemia or fatigue, just not having a whole lot of energy, you may have a fast heart rate, uh, you may be short of breath, and in severe cases it can cause, you know, some, some uh, other damage to other organs. But if, And if you're having a chronic, you know, if you're having a hard time just because of blood losses, that can certainly be an issue with trying to keep up for that. If you have iron deficiency anemia, and then usually the, there's a blood test for this that physicians look at a couple of different things. They may look at a ferritin, an iron saturation level, uh, and to determine if low iron uh, is the cause of your anemia. And if they do prescribe that, Rachel's right. These are big pills. Sometimes they can cause constipation. Uh, they can cause some upset, upset to the gas, gastric lining, the lining of the stomach, and uh, people complain about that. Uh, people do hate taking them. Uh, one of the alternatives is IV iron. It does have some increased risk. It's um, You can have some... Uh, reactions to the iron. Obviously, you have to come in every so often and get an iron infusion, uh, but there are some increased risk with it when compared to taking oral iron. Rachel, what I would suggest, uh, there's actually a study several months ago that looked at taking iron every other day and the absorption of iron and side effects. And that study was, was very effective. Instead of taking iron multiple times a day or once a day, to take it every other day Uh, at the same levels that you're probably taking, which is probably 325 milligrams uh, once or multiple times a day, if you do that every other day, that you actually absorb more than if you were taking it every day. So it's a little counterintuitive, but it has to do with the way that iron is absorbed in the gut. Um, But I would do that first just because it's not going to be as risky or expensive. Several insurance companies won't really pick up that service of the IV iron if there's, you know, oral iron, taking iron by mouth, if that's a um, if that's a possibility. And, you know, iron supplementation, they're certainly over-the-counter. You don't have to get a prescription for that. That's certainly something that you can take. Uh, and it, not for everybody. You know, iron overload is a big deal. If you are taking it and you have kids in the house also, uh, want to be safe with that and put it up because you can have iron toxicity. So... Thank you, Rachel. i would try that first before you investigate IV iron just because of those side effects. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we got a, a open board. So call us today at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 about any and all questions you might have about the health of you or your family, or send us an email like Rachel did to remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
2: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877 MPB, ring. That's one or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and uh, we're talking about all kinds of different things today, but we want to talk about what is interesting to you. What kind of questions do you have that maybe you need a second opinion on, maybe something that you hadn't had a chance to get to your physician yet guess what this is free so call in for some advice today about what's going on with you the number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 or shoot us an email at remedy at mpbonline.org Lots of questions out there about health care. You know, healthcare is not just about the diagnosis that you have and uh, how to treat it or what's causing it, but it's also about just your overall health. And one of the things that uh, more and more we see in the news that people want is sort of that old-time doctor feel of somebody that they can go to with their problems, that knows them, that understands what their wishes are. And uh, as we've made so many different advances in all areas of medicine We've prolonged life in areas where it wasn't possible to do that, even in the last 20 years. Uh, It's amazing some of the things that we've done. But with that comes difficult decisions that you have to make at the end of your life. And that can be when you get older. That can be if you have a chronic medical condition as a young individual and you're Uh, not expecting to live, maybe to your 80s, but maybe in your 40s or 50s. These are all times that you want to discuss with you and your family and your physician about how you want to live. And one of the ways that you can do that is through an advanced directive, so an advanced healthcare directive. And basically what this is is a document that discusses what your wishes would be at the end of your life. Uh, when certain things happen. For instance, if you stop breathing and you're put on a ventilator, if you don't want to do that, that would be something that you could address in this advanced directive. Uh, If you didn't want certain medications, if you wanted a trial of these things, and this can change over time. It doesn't mean once you make one of these out, maybe you get better. Maybe your chronic illness uh, improves to the point where that doesn't look like that's going to happen, or at least for a long time. Then you can change this. But this is a, a document. It's not necessarily a legal document. State to state, there's different laws about this. Uh, but we had a, an email about this from Michael. Uh, he said, Where can I get the forms for advanced medical directive in Mississippi? So there's a couple of different places you can look for this. If you go to the uh, state uh, medical website, so that's uh, mississippistate.edu, uh, M S S T A T E. edu, or health. Dot ms state edu they can they can basically go over these things about what this medical directive is but i would say i you know different places already have this so if you're in a healthcare system where your provider your your primary care provider or your physician or nurse practitioner if they're affiliated with somebody which these days they probably are uh, most often affiliated with a hospital system most hospital systems are going to have their own form to sign and again, it's not a legal document, so that's not the legal issue of durable, health, uh, durable power of attorney for health care. That's somebody who can make the decisions on your behalf if you're not able to make that, uh, if you're unconscious or you know inca- incapacitated. And again, you want yeah, I'd have those kinds of things put into place. But advanced directive just let somebody know who doesn't know you. Best thing, talk to your doctor about it. Talk to your family. Make sure everybody's on the same page about what your wishes are Sometimes families, because man, we love our families and we want to do everything possible for them, but that might not jive with what the patient wants. And I oftentimes have, have tried to remind families, you know, we need to remember what granddad wanted. We need to remember what your father wanted or your wife wanted when she was able to make those decisions. And an advanced uh advanced uh healthcare directive is one of those ways that you can put in writing exactly what you want. And, again, it can change from time to time. Uh, but share that. There's different uh, ways to do that out there. You know, the state form is sort of a standardized way to do that, but your physician may have one in their office. But uh, talk to them about that and bring that up. Uh, even if you're totally healthy, that's a great idea to go ahead and, and get that ball rolling. So when you get to that point, whenever it may be, 50 years from now, 10 years from now, that you'll be prepared. You don't want to lay that burden on the rest of your family. So, Michael, thanks for uh, thanks for doing that. And hopefully that'll you know that'll point you in the right direction of, of doing that. But I would I would just ask your physician first. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call if you have a healthcare question is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Caroline from Livingston, Alabama. Good morning.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: Good. Thank you for calling.
0: I had lap band surgery about six or seven years ago, and um, I lost weight, but um, I was really one of those ones that cheated and, you know, I had a lot of reflux and so forth. Lately, in the last year, I've developed this pain right around that area and another protrusion. Things though I have a harness, but I looked at the. Uh, Side effects or the symptoms of hernia, and I don't really have those. First of all, what else could it be do
1: you think, and who do you want to go back to? Because I had the son in Texas, Alabama now. Mm -hmm. So, Caroline, let me ask this little protrusion, is that from the surgical scar where you had the procedure done? No, I mean, I have a little
0: protrusion there, but I have another protrusion that's kind of adjacent
1: to it. Just right beside it, okay. Yeah, there's. You can have hernias. Sometimes, if you're looking up the the symptoms of a hernia, it may be a little confusing because there's different kinds. A hernia just means there's a, a an out pocket. There's a protrusion, as you said, uh, of material that that shouldn't be there, and that can be fat tissue. It can be bowel tissue if it's big enough, and it can poke out in different places. When people usually say a hernia, you know, most of the time they think an inguinal hernia. Those are lower down in the groin on either side. Um, and that's, that can be either something that's acquired from a weakness in the abdominal wall, or it's something that you're born with a weakness in the abdominal wall, but you can have them other places. Uh, you know, kids have them around their umbilicus, their navel. So you can have an umbilical hernia and then you can have these other hernias, uh, that are in the midline of your abdomen. Uh, there's spygmalion hernias that are on the a little bit lateral to that. And all these are places where the muscles come together that may weaken over time. Uh, and anything you know, uh, excess uh, obesity over time can do that to weaken that wall. Even if you lose weight afterwards, it still can leave a little bit of a weakness there. Um, a surgeon is the one that can, uh, can, um, look at that just because you have a hernia wherever it might be, doesn't mean you necessarily need to get that fixed right now. Surgically, most of the time, depending on where it is and and the extent of it, it is an easy surgery to get. It has very little uh, risk to it as long as your other, you know, medical problems are, are controlled and, and Okay. Your question about who to go to, I wouldn't go all the way back to Texas. I'd have somebody, you know, surgeons like to look at their own work. Like if they did, you know, if they did the surgery, most of the time they'll say, just come back to me if there's any problems. That's usually the way that surgeons uh, do things. However, in this instance, there's no need to go all the way back to Texas. I would go to a general surgeon uh, and have them look at it and see if they, number one, think it's a hernia And if it may not be, it may be, or it may be a small enough hernia that it's not a big problem. uh, Or if it's something that would be, you know, easily managed uh, surgically, they can look at that they can image it. A lot of times they'll, they'll put an ultrasound probe on there and take a look at it to see how far down that, uh, that weakness is. Sometimes it doesn't go all the way through the abdominal wall. In fact, there's something called diastasis recti, the most common cause of that is pregnancy. Women get this where your rectus abdominis muscles, those are the two big muscles, your abs, your washboard, uh, so to speak that people have, uh, I used to have one, don't have much anymore, but, uh, when you get pregnant, uh, or if you gain weight, it moves to the side. So it sort of splits. So it's like Moses going through the red sea there. Uh, it parts aside and sometimes that that's a weakness too. not a true hernia, uh, but it's just the, the muscle just sort of stretches out like it should when you're pregnant. But see a surgeon, doesn't have to be in Texas, can be locally. Uh, word of mouth with surgeons is great, so ask people in your area, you know, who have you gone to for general surgery, for your gallbladder out, that kind of thing, maybe hernia surgery. They're going to tell you who the best people are who have the best okay. reputation, and then just have them look at it.
0: And I ask you one last thing you see these advertisements on television about Attorneys wanting to know uh, having lawsuits about certain and mesh. Yep. Uh, product. So that you know gives
1: me a red alert. I, yeah. I
0: assume it's only one product or one product type. That they're talking
1: about right there's there were problems with certain with the materials that they they used in some of those, and they caused some problems you know you can find you know every surgery has its complications, so right. you can have perfectly decent surgery with mesh uh and you can have some cutaneous nerve uh damage, in other words, some numbness or something like that around the area. There's lots of complications that are relatively minor. But, you know, if you have a concern about that, there's certainly the ones that cause problems that you just really can't get them anymore. And there's a lot of things that sort of left over that the lawyers are going after. But there's certainly, unless it is a huge defect, you don't necessarily have to use mesh. Now, I'm not a surgeon, but after talking to them, there are other ways to do that, more what they call classical ways of closure, that they can, they can, you know, bring those uh, areas together without using mesh. So that's not necessarily something you have to use. It, it, you know, at the time those were improvements with using mesh. But if that's a concern, you don't, you don't have to do that.
0: Well, that's great news. I uh, thank you so much.
1: Sure, thanks for calling, Caroline. Hi. This is Southern Remedy, and I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're taking your calls today. You can reach us at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to from hernias to earwax to uh, William in Vicksburg. Good morning, William.
3: Good morning. Good morning.
1: Thanks for calling.
3: Uh, Can you, am I there?
1: Yes, you are here. You are live.
3: Okay. Uh, Excessive wear, excessive wax buildup in your ear. What would be your recommendation for prevention and removal?
1: Yeah. Some people have, it's interesting. Like (laughs) some people don't think it's too interesting. This is something that, doctors bring up, uh, around the dinner table that we shouldn't like earwax. Um, you know, some people have more earwax and some people have different, um, consistency of earwax. Uh, a lot of people just don't have any problems with it. Earwax is a protective substance that your ear produces, uh, to protect the ear canal from different things from damage. And you don't want an ear, you know, everybody says, I you know, I should have cleaned my ears if you're going to look at my ear doc. And I sort of cringe at that because when you do that with a Q-tip or something else, even if you use, you know, excessive liquids that are out there, uh, home remedies, sometimes you can get to the point where you don't have enough earwax. Now, there are situations where you can get an impaction of that earwax. So if you get, uh, you know, an inclusion of the canal completely. Um, usually it's interesting as far as hearing loss go, hearing loss goes, uh, if you have a little bit of an opening in there, usually you can hear just fine. I mean, the way our ears are designed, as long as there's some type of opening through that that uh, canal, even if you got a lot of wax in there, it's okay. And impaction is where it's just it's hard, it's a big plug in there, and it can decrease hearing. So there's a couple of different ways to get earwax out. One is mechanical, so it's you want somebody who's trained to do this, either an ear, nose, and throat doctor or a physician or a nurse practitioner has been trained and has a lot of experience doing this, they usually take what's called a curette, which is a little plastic instrument, um, to, or it has a little loop at the end or a little spoon on the end, and they go in there and they sort of scoop it out. And then usually they do this under direct uh, you know, visualization, so they're directly looking at that. They're not going in blind like, like somebody would with a, a Q-tip. So they go in there and they sort of scoop that out, and that's helpful particularly if you have a lot of really dense sticky earwax or if it's really hard there's other ways of doing that you can do an irrigation in the office so an ear nose and throat doctor if you have kids sometimes they'll do this in the pediatrician's office where they irrigate it out with water and that sometimes can can be uh, I wouldn't say painful but it's it's a bit of a discomfort for some people just because having water go through your ear there's a little bit of a noise a whooshing sound there some people actually get, if it's cold water, if it's not, you know, sort of the body temperature uh, water, you can, have, um, you can have some dizziness or some vertigo with that. But that's one way to wash that out. And then finally, there are some things that you can put in there to soften it up. Uh, mineral oil has been used as an over-the-counter or, or home remedy. Uh, some, some of the, uh, some of the things that are out there, ceruminex, they have sort of that consistency to them. You put it in there that takes, it can, it can soften it up and it can certainly dissolve earwax over time. But if you have a lot of it and it's more dense, it's just going to take a while. And as far as prevention, again, earwax is good. Um, you want some earwax there. If you get it too dry and you don't have a lot of earwax, you're going to have some problems in your ear canal. Um, but I, you know, if you, if you, I would talk to your doctor if you're in that situation and say, hey, could I use this on a regular basis? They're probably going to say yes. Most of the time, those eardrops aren't a big problem. Now, if you have a hole in your eardrum, which some people do, um, then you don't want to use those because that those, those kinds of things can get down a lot deeper. Uh, and that's a contraindication too from some of these other methods like the washing out. But Usually the over-the-counter things are okay. I wouldn't go sticking anything down in there. There's, there's tons of times when I've tried to get earwax out and somebody stuck a Q-tip, whether this was a kid or adult, and, man, it was difficult to get out. So, uh, William, I would do that. Try some of the over-the-counter stuff first, though, and, and see, if it, uh, see if it helps out.
4: I'll do that. Thank All you, right, Dr. Jimmy.
1: Sure, thanks for calling. All right, uh, let's go to Markham in Abbeville. Good morning, Markham. Morning. Thanks for calling.
4: Uh, I I like your show. I listen to it quite often. Thank you. Uh, I have high iron, and uh, they have me going to a blood bank every three months to draw it off to control it.
1: You're going to the vampires, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's called hemochromatosis. Uh, uh, so high iron is is a, it's relatively rare. It's a genetic condition, but basically, it's not a problem of not getting enough iron in your system. You got too much, and if you if it gets high enough for long enough, it gets deposited in different areas. If you think about if you if you think about the body like a house, and you kept filling up that house with, you know, iron's a pretty small molecule, but if you filled up your house with, uh, with posted stamps, eventually, if they keep coming in and there's no way to get it out, you're going to have a house full of that. And it's going to get deposited in different places. Well, iron gets deposited in places like your pancreas. So you can develop diabetes. If you have too much iron, it can be deposited in your heart. So you can have heart failure or heart disease. Uh, A lot of other places, your liver, uh, you can have liver disease from that. So Yeah, that's and Mark Markham's right. The way to get rid of that is you get bled. So it sounds pretty medieval, but that's the best way to do that is you basically go to the phlebotomist. That's the vampires I was talking about, and it's just like you were given blood. So they hook you up, and they basically take off an amount of blood, and you go in every couple of weeks or every month to do that. So is that sort of your pattern, Markham? Yes, it is. You, let me ask you, Morgan, but do you have any kind of problems with that, like other organs that are involved? or No,
4: they, uh, they've done a bunch of tests, and they said that everything's fine. I have no problems anywhere else.
1: That's good. Yeah, you don't want to wait around for that. And unfortunately, it's not just a one-time thing of going in and getting bled. Uh, you have to keep doing that uh, pretty much for the rest of your life and they, they, I'm sure they're monitoring your, your iron levels and your, your blood counts to make sure that's not a, you know, not a problem, but that's what you got, Markham. It's uh, hemochromatosis is the fancy doctor name for it, um, and it sounds like they got it uh, diagnosed early enough in you to try to prevent some of these things from happening, so uh, impotence is another one to, you know, that's another one. It just iron gets deposited in all kinds of different places. Were there any kind of other problems or questions with it, or was that... Well,
4: no, I was just kind of wondering. He never got down to tell me why I
1: got it. It's something you were born with. Now, your parents may not have had it, or your grandparents, but the way the genes come together with your mom and your dad, uh, you just happen to inherit that in the same way that you inherit eye color or hair color. Uh, Those are the same kind of things. So they probably were carriers of this. And then when they came together and you were born, that's that's what happened. Uh, you know, your family is probably you know at risk for it. It doesn't mean that everybody in your family is going to have it, but it may mean that you know if they have some problems, they may need to get tested. Another way that sometimes it, it comes up is in the skin. So iron gets deposited in the skin, and you look like you have a really good tan, uh, almost sort well, of a, yes. a, a bronzy colored uh, to you. How was how was yours picked up? Well, it's
4: through routine testing. Yeah, uh, but I'm 59 years old, and they just found this two years ago.
1: Yeah, that's that's the usual. Actually, I mean, you can have different uh, severities of it, but a lot of times they don't pick it up until your 40s or 50s, and that is a problem just because of. Um, you know, there's that that by that time you may have had some iron deposition. Sounds like and I'm sure you just described, you know, they probably looked at your heart and your liver and all this kind of thing to see Correct. if there were any kind of you know, any kind of problems yet. But as long as you keep getting bled by the vampires you'd be okay. All right. Well I thank you. Thank you for calling. Yeah, it's a rare thing out there. Less than 200,000 people in the U.S. have that, but that's that's a lot. It could be you. So if you have any of those symptoms like uh, Markham described, go get checked out by your physician. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. I have plenty of time to squeeze in some more calls before our hour is up. So you can give us a call today at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one we will be right back after this break.
2: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one 877 672 or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org
1: welcome back to southern remedy this is dr jimmy and we're talking about all kinds of things from hernias to earwax to all kinds of problems with vitamin d We've got plenty of time to take your questions or comments. Doesn't matter how old you are, young and old, we will take them all today. That's right, free answers to your healthcare questions. If you give us a call today at one mpb ring that's 1-877-672-7464. Or if you can't reach us, maybe you're driving and uh, don't want to talk on the phone, that's fine. Send us an email, even if it's uh, not during our hour. We'll take them during the hour, too. You can reach us online at... Um, at remedy at mpbonline.org. A couple other things that I saw in the, in the news that are interesting. You know, ADD is one of those things, attention deficit disorder or ADHD, uh, that it affects a lot of kids, um, probably overdiagnosed. You know, Dr., uh, Dr. Susan Buttress is an expert on this. Uh, and uh, so if you have a question about that, you might can call in on Tuesdays. On uh, relatively speaking, but um, it's a big deal. And part of the the interesting research, at least to me and others, is that uh, how we do things, how we process things, when we're growing up as a as a child, as an adolescent, really programs our brain. So the experiences that you have, it's not just the the neurons, the brain tissue that you're born with. Uh, it's also the interactions that you have. And a child and an adolescent, they need a rich Uh, environment where they interact with one another and socially as you probably know the uh, a lot of the problems with ADD is an inattention to uh, a lack of focus on different things and easily distractions and if you think about that like even if you're an adult without ADHD what are the things out there that could cause that and you probably can reach into your pocket or look across the table and aha there's a phone that uh is very intrusive, it's, uh, it's a distraction a lot of times. So a lot of people have thought, what are the effects since so many different kids and adolescents have cell phones, particularly if they have ADD. Uh, so they looked at um, what are the effects of that, or at least what are the some of the, not necessarily effects, but when you look at some of the patterns of use of these devices, what does it do if you have ADD? So about 10% of those who had ADD and were using phones reported new problems with attention, focus, or being still, which are all hallmark, hallmarks of ADHD. And uh, that compared in the control group, that's the, the group that they uh, compare things to, less than 5% of their peers uh, who kept their device to a minimum. In other words, the, the, the less you use your phone, particularly if you have ADHD, the better your symptoms are probably going to be. And that's a good opportunity. I wouldn't ban these devices from anybody. Certainly we are in a world that, that uh, is dependent upon our cell phones, upon our electric, electronic devices. However, how you use them as a parent, as a grandparent, uh, you need to teach your child how to use those appropriately and in some kids uh, some instances it you know just because everybody else in your child's grade has a, a cell phone doesn't mean that you have to do that doesn't mean that you have to have an electronic phone what what's the use of the phone and in some uh, instances it might actually be harming them uh, or making their um, making their symptoms uh, more than what they should be uh, so think about that you might want to talk about that with your physician about what the The proper um, use of those devices are but and that's not definitive you know we're not saying that cell phones do cause that but certainly there's an association with an increase in symptoms uh, in the more that they use these devices so just keep that in mind more to come on that i'm sure in the future let's go to john in memphis good morning john
0: yes uh, how you doing
1: good thank you for calling
3: uh, okay, look here, I was calling in reference, I have a, uh, enlarged prostate, it was probably about six, seven years ago, they, they told me about it and it made my PSA level go up, uh-huh. and they've been monitoring it and, uh, I've had probably about four biopsies and everything has been okay on those and, and, but they, you know, of course monitor me with, I've had the MRIs, a couple of MRIs now they do instead of the other scanning.
4: And I was just curious
3: about men having enlarged prostates and causing your PSA level to go up to make them, you know, continue to look at it. And I was just concerned about the uh, biopsies more so than anything else, me having so many of them.
1: Right. Hey, John, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you?
3: Uh, I'm 65
1: now. Okay, so relatively young. So, uh, yeah, prost- the prostate gland is a gland that is down in the nether regions, uh, in, in males only. Females don't have this. So it's uh, it's wraps around the urethra. The urethra is the tube uh, between your bladder and the outside of your body where urine comes out. And a lot of the problems with the prostate is that as you get older, every male, as you get older, your prostate gets bigger in size. And because it sort of sits in close proximity and partially around that, that tube, that urethra that passes urine to the outside of the body, as it gets bigger, it can sort of kink that off. So think about this, <laughs> think about this as a water hose at your home, okay? And as long as there's, a, there's not really a constriction around that hose, then water flows fine. So some of the symptoms you get from an enlarged prostate uh, can be a decrease in urine flow. It could be intermittent urine flow. You know, patients will often come in and say, I, can, I just can't get my stream going when I go to the bathroom. It feels like I have to go. It takes me a long time. I can have some leakage after I get through going. I think I've, you know, gone and then I have to go again. Maybe they'll, they'll be up many times at night. And that's all because you're just not emptying out your bladder because that prostate's getting bigger. Now, PSA, that is a substance prostate-specific antigen that is measurable in the blood. So it's a blood test that measures levels of this antigen uh, that the prostate gives off normally. And there is a wide range of normal. Generally speaking, as you get older, that that normal range goes up. It has been used in the past sort of as a screening technique to see, uh, you know, for prostate cancer so you can have the same symptoms that i just described with an enlarged prostate with prostate cancer they're not the same processes but sometimes you can have the same symptoms so that's the big thing is can you differentiate between those two john mentioned you know getting some biopsies probably because of those elevations in the prostate uh in the psa um maybe with or without symptoms but we know that uh, now the the PSA is not the only test that can predict prostate cancer. And actually, it's a very poor test if you look at the data in the general population. If you have symptoms, then, yes, it can be useful. Or if you're higher risk, mainly African-Americans or those who've had early prostate cancer in their family. And I'd say, John, at 65, that probably fit with why you got some biopsies like that. Biopsies aren't benign. They have some side effects, Uh, I would talk to your physician. Honestly, in the general population, if you have an internist or a family medicine physician, a lot of them are looking at the data now and saying, you know, we're not going to test everybody uh, for prostate cancer with a PSA just because you have so many false positives. Uh, If you have any inflammation around that area, actually, you know, they've been some good case studies. Cyclists, I'm just picking one group that uh, have a lot of pressure on the prostate, You know, you can see these false elevations and that can lead to a biopsy when you really didn't need one. But it sounds like you're getting some good surveillance, John, but generally speaking, that's what happens. The prostate gets bigger, PSAs go up as we age. Um, Prostate cancer is thankfully a slow-growing cancer. The older you are, the development of it, you may not need an aggressive therapy in treating it because you will probably outlive your cancer in those situations. But that's an ongoing discussion you need to have with your doctor and need to ask lots of questions. Okay.
3: Do you think I I need, because I'm basically, I'm satisfied with the physician that I see. you think I need to ever get a second
4: opinion?
1: Oh, no, I'd I'd stick with them. I'd stick with who you got. sounds like they're doing the right thing right now. Um, And, yeah, I'm I'm assuming because you had the biopsy, you saw a urologist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. i a urologist. Those are the specialists that deal with that. No, I would stick with him, John. It sounds like they're doing exactly what they should.
3: Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank
1: you, bud. All right. Thanks for calling. Okay.
3: All right.
1: Let's go to uh, Jerry and Ashland. Good morning, Jerry.
3: Good morning, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'm 58 years old. Uh, my height is proportional to my weight, although I do have more weight than I need. I ride a bicycle 200, 300 miles a month, and I've got low iron and low uh, uh, creatine and that, and my physician has taken, you know, my my blood iron and all that stuff a couple times, put me on an iron tablet with, with a C, and I've had the lower GI inspected, the upper uh, endoscope done, and I've also swallowed the pill with a camera attached to it, can find no obvious signs of why I wouldn't have a normal, you know, blood iron levels and red blood cell levels. And I'm just curious, besides leakage from some sort of internal... Uh, wound, I have. What, what, what is it? My body's just not making enough. I'd like to get it up to normal because I could ride better then.
1: Right, <laughs> exactly. Don't do any blood doping just yet, Jerry. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's a con. I mean, for iron deficiency anemia, sometimes th- that's exactly right. They did, you know, what everybody else would recommend is they look for a source of blood loss. Um, so doing a colonoscopy, which just looks at the lower end, in- you know, the, the, the large intestine, the lower part of your intestines. Uh, that helps to define it to see if there's some leakage there. The pill cam that you described is something that you swallow and it looks at things all the way down. Those aren't foolproof, and sometimes you can still have a slow leak that is just not being picked up either by, you know, testing the stool for blood or by the pill cam or the endoscopy. That's the colonoscopy portion. Um, there are other um, other mechanisms that could be abnormal, Iron absorption test, and they may have done this already, but basically, that's you know testing if you are absorbing iron appropriately in your GI tract, uh, or um, uh, or you're having a problem in your bone marrow itself. So, in some cases, you know, some people would even depending on the levels of that. It sounds like you're still pretty active, and it probably wouldn't be the test to do. But if it was bad enough, they may even do a bone biopsy to look at uh, the iron stores in your bone marrow, and maybe it, it may be a bone marrow problem. Uh, if you're not making enough, but short of that, um, you know, they may try, we mentioned IV iron earlier. That would, that, you know, if you're taking the oral iron, it's not getting any better. That might be something that your hematologist and those are the, the doctors that would be looking at this. They might, um, they might suggest back to your question about where, you know, is, are you losing it anywhere? If you're, if your bone marrow is working okay, well, I should back up. If you're absorbing iron, okay, from your, from what you're taking through your gut, uh and your bone marrow is processing it appropriately and there's not any other problems with making red blood cells so iron is only one precursor and there's plenty of hormones that that deal with that Uh, some of them are produced in your kidneys uh, others uh, within the bone marrow itself if all that looks okay then you could have a slow leak in your gi tract that they're just not picking up those that pill cam and the colonoscopy aren't foolproof they Look for, uh, you know, the a large amount of, of blood loss. But if it's small enough and it's just a slow trickle, you're not going to necessarily see that. Um, but that's I, they may have discussed all those things with you. I don't know if they've gone so far as to do the... Uh, it would be hard, I think, for a hematologist to justify as active as you are, even though, you know, you could make the case, hey, I would be a whole lot more act, active if, uh, if I had my counts up.
3: I, I think that's correct... Um This this condition I've had it for a couple two three years and I took iron pills for a while and it didn't seem to do anything different so I'm just kind of befuddled Uh, and so my takeaway is either an iron absorption either a leak an iron absorption issue or my bone marrow is not doing the job
1: correct that's it so and so
3: the next after this would be uh, what IV iron or EPO.
1: It only the EPO is the hormone I talked about uh, that's produced by the kidneys. Only if that's low. So if that's if that's in a normal, then they may have checked that already. But if it's if it's at a normal uh, or in a, I guess I should say, inappropriately low. So if it's a, either elevated as it should be to try to say to your bone marrow, hey, make more red blood cells, or if it's uh, you know it, it's an, a normal even a normal level that may not be appropriate for the degree of anemia that you have. That would be. Okay. That might be a situation where they would, you know, uh, recommend that.
3: I can actually test for that. I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a blood test that they test those levels for EPO, and then uh, they can recommend whether or not that's a that's something that you need.
3: And, and by the way, you mentioned the, the prostrate thing with cyclists. There are, I, coincidentally, I got a brand new seat for my bike yesterday.
1: With the cutout, right?
3: Oh my gosh, what a difference! It's like- <laughs> Yeah, I go. got.
1: I, I so I I don't ride a whole lot now, but I used to ride a lot and uh, ridden the whole the whole trace, not in in one sitting, but uh, but I was probably around the same mileage you you were. And you're right, it, you want to protect that area, and it can not just with uh, soreness, with other things, but uh, they got lots of things out there. Check it out with other cyclists. Hey, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Jerry, and everybody else for calling and emailing us. This is Southern Remedy, and it's been a production of MPB Think Radio and is supported in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and, of course, support from you, our listeners. You can join us every Thursday at 11 o'clock, and uh, if you call in at one uh, eight seven seven mpb ring every Thursday, or excuse me, every Wednesday, we'll be here for you. Have a good day, people.